Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you all today. Uh, my name is Jay Francoeur. I get to pastor this this uh, little community called Cultivate, and we're uh, we're glad you're all are here uh, among us today. Um, we did have a wedding here yesterday, which is what all the ribbons and bows and flowers are. We're doing a sermon series called This Sacred Life. We're looking at eight assumptions that Jesus had, uh, ways that he viewed the world, and how those assumptions that he carried with him everywhere he went enabled Jesus to, to live all of life as sacred space, to live it as though God is present and at work everywhere he went. Not just because he was the Son of God, but because this is how life is supposed to work. Jesus is the human one who shows us what it means to be human, just as he's the Son of God. So over the course of eight weeks, we're trying on all of these assumptions for ourselves to see if they change the way that we see the world, the way that we see God, the way that we see each other, and even ourselves. Uh, these uh, eight statements, uh, assumptions, we've used the word paradigms or axioms, they come from a book called Having the Mind of Christ. Uh, by a couple guys named uh, Matt Tebby and Ben Sternkey. And we're also doing uh, some learning communities to dive a bit deeper, to dig at some of these assumptions ourselves and to try them on with, e with each other. So um, those are happening on Tuesdays and Fridays. This week, both of those are happening. So if you want to join us Tuesday on Zoom at 8 o'clock, that's one of them. Or we'll be doing Friday in person at 6.30 uh, at our house. So um, we hope that you can come to one or both of those. So far what we've been learning is that this life that we live, this sacred life, is all about communion with God. Finding a, a, a union, oneness with God in love. Becoming one with Him and each other. And then we built on that foundation that this God who's restored communion is always present and at work in every circumstance of our lives. And this God who is present and at work, who wants to be one with us, looks just like Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of God. So then we kind of get to the question, based on, now that we've sort of established all those things, where then do we go to meet with this God? Where do we go to meet with this God who is always present and at work? So we're going to look at Mark 10 together. I apologize, I don't have the words on the screen um, for this morning. But we're going to be in Mark 10. I was having too much fun at a wedding yesterday. I just didn't get around to it. So I'm sorry for that. Um, but we're going, to, we're going to pick up in verse 35 of Mark 10. You can um, search it on your Bible app or page through the, uh, the um, Bibles that we have under the seats. Um, but just to set the stage a little bit, uh, Mark 10 is all about how people come to Jesus. You get all these snapshots, these vignettes of people and their strategies for how they get close to Jesus. So you have the Pharisees who come to Jesus and they try to trap Him with technical questions. And then you have children who come to Jesus freely, but the disciples try to turn them away. And then you have a rich man he comes to Jesus, but he refuses to see that his riches have blinded him to the societal injustices he's complicit in by hoarding his wealth. And then you have the two contrasting stories that we'll look at today. So let's pick it up in Mark 10.35, starting at 
the story of James and John. And then we're going to look at the story of blind Bartimaeus. All right, James and John first. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, that's Jesus, and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And they replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten, those are the other disciples, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, they were leaving the city. And a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Today, friends, we proclaim the good news that Jesus actually meets us in reality. God is so real, He most fully meets us right where we really are. Not in oughts, or coulda, woulda, shouldas, or maybe some days, but in the right here, right now, because this is all we have, reality. His love invites a reality check to be present to the present. God is so real, He most fully meets us where we really are today. So where are you? Jesus has been declaring the reality of his lordship through Mark's gospel. And then you get to Mark 10, and as I said, it's all about how, how people come to Jesus. And we get these snapshots of folks from all walks of life, Pharisees, the rich, children, disciples, and then finally Bartimaeus. And there are all these, uh, as I said, pictures of how they approach and encounter Jesus. And these stories are stitched together together. Um, 
with the teaching of Jesus' kingdom and what it's like. He says that my kingdom involves a cross, not a chariot. It involves an execution before it involves a crown. It involves absorbing violence rather than inflicting it on other people. This was unexpected to Jesus' disciples, as you might be able to tell. James and John, they don't get it. They, go, they completely misunderstand what Jesus is talking about. And so do the other ten disciples. The only person who gets it is the one who shows up at the end of the story. And that's Bartimaeus. Now, it's, it's commonly thought, though, that James and John were, were sort of wrong or bad for asking what they wanted. Right? Do you ever hear that? They come to Jesus um, and, and, and we think that like, they're their, their ask of Jesus is something that they shouldn't have done. In fact, if you read um, Matthew's Gospel, they, they're so timid about it that they get their mommy to do it. They can't, they can't work up the nerve to ask Jesus directly. They have to get her to do it for them. Um, so it's commonly thought that, that Bartimaeus was right, which is why he gets what he asked for. He gets healing and he follows Jesus. But I, what I want to contend is that that's not the best way to think about these stories. Both James and John and Bartimaeus ask for what they want. They ask for what they want. They, they give their desires over to Jesus. And Jesus invited both of them to own and name those desires. He asked them, what do you want? What do you want? This is the fundamental discipleship question. It's the one that Jesus returns to again and again and again with people that he encounters along the way. What do you want? Why does he do that? Because what you want and what you desire is where you really are. That's where you really are. It's a portal into what your heart is desires at that moment and where you are as a human being. And friends, the good news today is that that is where Jesus meets you. In reality. Not in what you oughta or shoulda, woulda, coulda wanted or maybe someday. No. Right now. Right here. In the present because the present is all we have to meet with God. He traffics in reality. And His love invites us to be present in the present. The good news today, friends, is that God is so real, He most fully meets you where you really are. Um, everybody has like an oh crap moment in life, right? You've probably had them. Mine came when I was 30. I had an oh crap moment at 30. And um, most, a lot of people have these because... Um, there's this like realization that dawns on them that they're not a kid anymore, that they're like an actual adult with real responsibilities. And they're like, wow, I have to start adulting now. And 30 is usually when that, you know, the shoe drops and you're like, man, um, I, you realize the responsibilities that you have going on. For me, though, um, it was sort of a spiritual low crap moment. Um, because, so I became a Christian at the age of 21. And um, I was in college, and my life was transformed in a lot of ways. I've talked about that transformation uh, plenty of times with you all. But I had this nagging thought throughout my 20s, and it was something like this, that 
when I get to 30, I'm, at that point, I'm going to be a real Christian. <laughs> you know what I mean by a real Christian? Like, um, then I'm going to have things figured out. Then I'll, I'll have this intimate relationship with God. Then I'll understand myself and Him and how to navigate through the world. And the oh crap moment was this. I got to 30 and I realized I'm still me. <laughs> and all the things that I struggled with in my 20s are still like, they, none of them magically went away. I'm still the same person that I was in my 20s. I'm, God is working my, my life, but there wasn't this like immediate dawning of reality of like suddenly the heavens part and I see God face to face. Like none of that happened. And on top of that, 30 is when I, you know, planted this church that you all are now a part of 12 years later. So I had the additional responsibilities of, like, now leading a church and going, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I lived under this assumption that I'll be able to meet God when? When I'm 30, when I'm more mature, when I finish my Master's of Divinity degree and finally master divinity. When I get married, when I have kids, when my kids stop bothering me so much. <laughs> the falsity is this, that God will meet with me in some idealistic future once certain expectations are met. Can you relate to that? Oh, crap. Um, but then I, I notice this other thing happening, uh, that when this strategy of this idealistic future disappoints me, when it doesn't work out the way that I thought it would, or, or I'm, I'm suddenly brought into the present, um, and I can't go to the future as a refuge for when I will meet with God, then I, I immediately go into spiritual activity mode. I get busy. I go to God boot camp. I talk about how I'm going to read my Bible like 20 hours a day and pray an hour a day and do all these things that are going to result in this close relationship with God that I so dream about in the future. If I can't get it in the future, the future never comes, then by gosh, I will get it myself through spiritual activity. But I noticed when every, every time I do that, I encounter some sort of failure. I'm not able to keep up the activity the way that it, I thought I would. The, the results don't come the way that I expected them to. And so it's always short-term. It's always limited. It's always external change. And then eventually I go back to the way I was before. Can you relate to that? Getting really involved in spiritual activity, feeling short-term gains and benefits, these exterior modifications and shifts, but your heart, who you are on the inside always returns to the base you. What is your strategy for getting into the presence of God? What's your hustle? Is it the future? Is it the past? Is it pretense? Is it spiritual activity? What we see in Jesus' practice and throughout his life is that God actually wants to meet us right where we really are now. Not in oughts or shoulds or woulds or coulds. Not in some days or man, I wish I coulds. 
not in the past. But right here, right now, God's love in Jesus always invites a reality check. Will we reckon with who we are and where we really are? Because if we will, we will meet with God. That is the promise. That's the good news today. So let's look at um, Mark 10 because we see some of these issues come out in people who make their way to Jesus. And we see three uh, issues that inhibit us, too, from meeting with God where we really are at. So the first is this. The first issue that we often have is that sometimes we, really, we don't know where we really are. This is often my problem. We're spiritually unaware of where we are. And I think this is what's going on with James and John. They come to Jesus and they're like, Hey, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. I mean, talk about presumptuous. Like, if my kids came to me and said that, it's not going to go well. <laughs> I'd be like, who do you think you are asking this question? Like, let me talk, talk to me about what you want first, and then we'll negotiate an outcome, right? Do whatever you want without stipulation? Come on. But notice Jesus' response. It's completely different. He doesn't say, who do you think you are? He doesn't say, that is the dumbest thing I've heard today. <laughs> he asked them, what do you want? What is it that you want? And I don't think Jesus is being coy here. I don't think this is Jesus' gotcha moment for James and John. I don't think he's being sarcastic. And this is a bit of speculation here, but I, I think... If you look at all the people that have come to Jesus up until this point, the Pharisees, the some of the other disciples, the rich young ruler, by this point I think Jesus is so stinking relieved that someone is finally cutting through all the pretense and baloney and actually ready to get real with Him. This is in contrast to the Pharisees who are, like I said at the beginning of Mark 10, who are like, they come to Jesus, they're like, hey, Jesus, let's... Let's say there's this husband who sent his wife away. Is that cool in your opinion? And then you got the rich man who's like, hey Jesus, how can I be righteous without having to consider the consequences of accumulating wealth at the expense of my brother? Right? And then you have James and John who don't play any games. They're just two guys with open hearts that are like, hey Jesus, Give me. I think he's relieved. But their problem is I, they don't know where they really are. And Jesus is trying to help them to understand that. He keeps telling them about dying on a cross, about riding into Jerusalem, not on a chariot, but on a donkey. But they haven't understood that, the, that Jesus' kingdom is about suffering as much as it's about success. They don't realize how their own search for significance through control and dominance and being in charge has been misshaped and has misshaped their own desires and wants. They think that the only way they get to get what they want is to be in control. And Jesus is trying to help them to see a different way. And so he meets with them right there where they really are. What do you want? Even in the midst of their misplaced desires, and he does so not to 
condemn them for those desires, but to teach them and to reform them and to reshape them and to proclaim good news right to, to where they really are. And that good news today, friends, is that even if we don't know where we really are this morning, even if we think that we're right when we're really wrong, we can still own our wrongness with Jesus. You don't have to get your desires right to get with God. You just have to entrust your desires, right or wrong, to Him. That's how real God is. Not what you ought to want, but what you really do want. Have you ever been that honest with God? Some of us have a hard time. But that's where God meets you today. What do you really want? The second issue that uh, inhibits us is that sometimes, like I said, we don't allow ourselves to be where we really are. Uh, we've been taught uh, the kind of a way to be afraid or ashamed to reckon with what we actually want. This is how the crowd treats Bartimaeus. Notice uh, Bart. Can I call him Bart? Is that okay? All right. Bart, um, he's sitting by a roadside and he hears that Jesus is going by and he shouts out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's trying to get Jesus' attention. But this, the crowds, they scold him for it. They're like, will you shut up? Don't bother him. Be quiet. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've just ruined the day. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was shameful and presumptuous for a man of his stature to engage a rabbi like Jesus. He's a blind beggar. He has no status. And he's imposing on Jesus. See, Jesus, as it said, was on his way out of Jericho. He, he was withdrawing his power and his honor from that city. He's leaving. And yet here is this beggar insisting on the mercy of Jesus. And the crowds are the voice of shame. They're saying, don't be where you are. Keep your needs and your wants quiet. Don't share your desires. Not with him. He's too important of a man to do that to. And you are too little to bring your desires to him. Do you ever feel that way? I think this comes out in us a lot of the times. And even sometimes when we do get the courage to get real with God, where we really are, we have to preface it with all these qualifications. This is our shame poking through. Because even when we want to actually tell God what we really feel, what we really want, we do so with all these qualifiers. Like, I know this sounds bad, but... I shouldn't really want this, but... I hate to bother you, but... Bartimaeus, though, he's poor in spirit. He mourns. He thirsts for justice, and so he receives the kingdom. He's healed, and he's comforted. Today, the good news is that Jesus meets us in that reality, too. He not only heals our sight, but he declares to shame, not true. The God who asks Adam and Eve, where are you, is the same God who calls the blind man from darkness into sight, who calls him from hiding into the light. This is the God who wants to meet with you too in the light of reality today. So impose on him. You get to. 
Everyone does. So sometimes we don't know where we really are. Sometimes we don't allow ourselves to be where we really are because shame tells us that we can't be there. And then third, sometimes we use our Christian faith to fix where we are. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we don't allow. But oftentimes Christianity is our fix for where we are. Um, In the book, Matt and Ben call this spiritual bypassing which they they describe as the process of using the Bible, God's spiritual ideas or spiritual practices to avoid or ignore what is really happening. Usually something negative or uncomfortable in our lives. It's, It's treating Christianity like an opiate for reality rather than a portal into it. Now, um, a couple ways that this can manifest itself that I've seen in, um, in the church and in myself. The first is like uh, the way spiritual bypassing shows up is like the Ned Flanders way. You guys know who Ned Flanders is? From the Simpsons, the neighbor. Uh, Oakley Doakley, mustache, six-pack abs, no? Um, he's, he's the Christian neighbor, and it's, he's like this... Um, he has this facade all the time that everything's hunky-dory. Which comes off to the Simpsons is like this fakeness, this air of like everything has to be okay. It's, it's to speak in cliches like I'm better than I deserve. Anytime ask, somebody asks you how you're doing. Um, there are always smiles for Ned Flanders. There are no bad days. Things like sadness and badness, they're not allowed in the Flanders household. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you've experienced environments like this or times when Christians have been this way. I remember a few years ago, there was a, a podcast of the sermon that was kind of making its way around. And it was recommended to me at the time. It happened to be about anxiety and depression. And at the time, I was like, man, this, this is fantastic. I'm, I'm like a real novice in this area And I don't often know how to navigate this. Maybe there are words of wisdom here about how mature Christians can be depressed or have anxiety and and go through these seasons faithfully with God's presence. Maybe this will be a great learning experience. So I I listened to the podcast, and they did talk about depression. But that was like 10 minutes of the sermon, and then the punchline was this. Sometimes you just got to praise God. That was the solution. The next 20 minutes was a pep rally on how to cure your depression through worship. You don't need to be sad. Look at all the things that God's given you. Rejoice, I say. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't think about the bad things. Spiritual bypassing. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. It doesn't matter the fact that you tried to have kids but never could. Praise God even though your children have walked away from Him. Even though you got a cancer diagnosis. Even though you have crippling anxiety or a habitual sin that you can't overcome. Don't think about all of that. Just think about God and how good He is. Praise him until the sadness goes away. Spiritual bypassing. 
How are you doing? Too blessed to be stressed. How are you really doing? Ned Flanders syndrome. Is present, presenting a fake blessed persona. This is one of the ways that we refuse to be where we really are. Um, but it's not the only way. Uh, some of us, we look down our noses at Ned Flanders types. Um, but uh, there's another persona. I'll, I'll, we'll call him Rigid Roger. Um, I don't have a TV show to like, tie him to, but Rigid Roger is the serious Christian. This is the serious Christian. This is the Bible-believing Christian who uses doctrine and biblical acumen to fix any and every obedience issue that they have. Um, this type of spiritual bypassing uses pressure and willpower to overcome what's wrong in our lives. We quote Bible verses at ourselves and others, like, don't let the sun go down on your anger, which is another way of saying, stop feeling so angry because the Bible says so. This is a shutdown spirituality where God always has a quick fix to answer your every ailment. And if you're feeling ailments, then it means you're not being faithful enough. So get with the program. Because like, how can you not forgive your brother, right? I mean, don't you realize how awful you are and how much God has forgiven you? I mean, you've infinitely offended a holy God, infinitely more than this person offended you, so surely you can forgive this little thing that they've done to you. Can't be so bad. But hear me out here. What if God actually wants to meet you in your unforgiveness? What if he wants to tend to the things that have been done to you and say, I see them too, and it's okay that you feel this way right now? What if he's not interested in you, in you using your willpower to fix it? Today, we proclaim the reality that God is so real, he most fully meets you where you really are. Not in where you ought to be, or where you wish you'd be, or where you used to be, or where you will be someday, or where you think the Bible tells you you need to be. Right here is the meeting place of God. Even in the things that are wrong and bad. Even if you say to Jesus, I want to sit at your right hand and your left. I want all the power in the world. Jesus still moves closer to you. Not further away. Even if you argue that you're not the one who... <laughs> yeah, I'll leave that. Jesus moves closer to you. He, he looks to bring more insight to your life. Even, friends, if you're presuming upon God because you're the last person in the world that Jesus should give mercy to and the voices of shame, both outside and within, tell you to stop, God will meet with you right where you really are. So how do we respond to this today? Well, we're going to pray in a moment, but here are some ways that I'm learning to trust the God who's present to me in reality. Uh, one of the things that, um, that I've been doing for the last seven months is that I've been um, seeing a counselor, a therapist, um, because um, I realized that I needed to do a lot of internal work in my own heart. 
And the work that uh, she's helped me to do over this time is to own how sad I've been by naming all the things that I never took the time or space to grieve since becoming a pastor 12 years ago. All these events that go unnoticed or that I tell myself that I can't look at, all the losses that have accumulated over time, big things and little things, things that I said, ah, that's not that bad, or things that I said, ah, I just need to press through and soldier on so I could pursue God's calling in my life. I realized that over the course of 12 years, if I didn't tend to some of these things, that I was going to die by a thousand cuts. And so I'm going through this process and finally having someone to bear witness to those losses and say, I see them too. They don't need to define you, but they happened and they affected you. And you can be present to the reality that those things occurred and to say that they were not okay in many instances and then to be able with God to move forward through them, not to avoid them or go around them. See, my strategy to deal with sadness for a long time has been to stay away from it rather than to meet God in it. And I'm learning a better way. One of those ways is to learn how to meet God uh, in reality is by recovering things like lament and grief and sadness. Not in spite of worship, but as worship. Do you ever read the Psalms? Two-thirds of it are like, God, I cannot believe that you did this. That's lament and grief as worship, not worshiping as an opiate to sadness and grief. There's a huge difference, and that's one thing I'm learning. Another thing I'm learning is to be present in whatever actually is happening around me. I have many strategies to not be present to reality. One of my main strategies is to use my mind to travel to other places. So when stress or anxiety increase, I check out. It's amazing the places my mind can travel. It's <laughs> I have a passport to anywhere in the world. It's all locked up here. And like many of you, I've had these conversations before, I realized that Um, if that's my strategy, I miss out on what God is actually doing in front of me. I miss out on the reality of God's presence. Good or bad. I'm not saying it's all good. But God, if God is present in work and at work in everything, and God meets us in reality, then gosh darn it, I want to be present in that reality to find out what he's doing. And the more I check out, the more I miss it. Friends, where is God meeting you today? What part of your reality have you convinced yourself is God forsaken? And what strategies do you use to bypass that reality? Are you a Ned Flanders type? A rigid Roger? Do you check out? Do you live in the past or the future? Do you shame yourself into hiding? What's your hustle? Today, the good news is that even if your desires are wrong, even if you wish that Jesus was Caesar and that you got to be in control of the entire world, he'll still meet you 
in whatever you want. And all you have to do sometimes is to say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that we don't have to go anywhere, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, in order to meet with you, other than to go to what's real. And so, God, as we um, pray this morning, may we pray in light of the real light that shines on our life. Whatever's happening, we recognize that it's happening with you present. Whatever we want, we come to the realization that we can bring that desire to you. So God, we bring our desires right now into the light of your presence, making them known to you because you already know them and us. Whatever you want to do with this time, Holy Spirit, would you do it as you come? In Jesus' name.